from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey, everybody. We've got to say hey real fast before Diana starts giggling again. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we have not been able to get started. Listen. Every time I'm, I'm about to say, I am hello. hilarious. And that also <laughs> you are hilarious. <laughs> I'm over here laughing. It's a real it giggle up. fest, which is good because it's a it's a fun giggly story today. It's true. This is a good yeah. one. And it's a nice, beautiful day. Yes. We just took a nice Gorgeous. walk Blue with sky. the dog. Fall colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta love it. Crunching leaves under yes, your feet. definitely. Crunching leaves under hobs, peeing into leaf piles on the side yeah. of the road instead of the grass where you should be. Or in the middle of the road. Or just you're, in the like, middle literally of the road. in the middle of the road. Yep. And you're like, I guess you need to learn about cars. Look, he's an old dog. He he doesn't care about these <laughs> yeah, no. social stigmas anymore. He's like, I'm going to pee wherever I feel like peeing. <laughs> you know, he's leaving secret messages for other dogs. Right. That's all I can imagine is that, yeah, yeah, they just have a whole gossip network going on (laughs) through their pee. And he just stops. And sometimes he'll just be on one spot for a really long time. And he'll just like sit there trying to figure out what the message is. Oh, my God. Frank's back in town. My God. (laughs) He hasn't been here in ages. I can't believe he dared to show his face. I know. After the incident. 
Lillian is pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, so glad to have you for another episode. Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving doth approach. Yeah. (laughs) Traditional way of saying it, I think. (laughs) Um, But today we have a really fun story that you may have heard pieces of. It's a bit of a viral story, um, and we are really excited to be able to do it on our show. It's just a few years ago in Northern Virginia, a love story hatched in the Washington Post about a man who ended up being the unlikely life partner of a very difficult female named Walnut. (laughs) She is a white-naped crane from China. And most of the story comes from this Washington Post article by Sadie Dingfelder. And then there's a few conservation resources we tapped into as well to kind of fill in the holes. And this story goes trending every once in a while. You'll see it floating around social media. There's memes people share. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this story? It was, it's uh, from the early 2000s. And then the Washington Post article was in like 2018. And last time we saw it going around... Of course, we thought, well, oh. we have to do this story. I was like obsessed. I was immediately <laughs> obsessed with this story. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, babe, have you heard about this crane? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but within days of us seeing it, we started getting the suggestions roll in oh, from yeah. some of you. Um, I feel like three or four people reached out. It seems like it. It was ways. definitely mm-hmm. come to this story. I, I know the first one we got was from Mr. Godzilla on Twitter. Hey. Uh, EJ who hosts the Alcohol podcast with his <laughs> wife, Beth, where they drink and solve mysteries. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it, it seems really fun. And uh, they sent us this story. We're really excited to tell it to you. And honestly, there's really just no way to describe the story of Chris and Walnut without just telling the whole thing. So I say we flap our wings and get right into it. Let's go, Walnuts! Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So our hero in this story, Chris Crow. This man was born in 1976 in the suburbs of Rockville, Maryland. This is a a human man. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was like, let's make this one thing clear. Yeah, this is a guy. Um, You know, Rockville, Maryland, not exactly surrounded by the bounties of nature, right? This is a suburban area. But even amidst all the wide roads and shopping centers, he found this fascination in local wildlife, you know, just Squirrels running across power lines, jumping from rooftop to treetop. Mm -hmm. He'd catch glimpses of rodents and deer sometimes and wonder, you know, what do they get up to when they're not in our backyards? Uh, Which I I totally feel. I've always loved suburban animals. I like uh, squirrels entertain me endlessly. I love squirrels. They're hilarious. I will just watch squirrels all day. Mm -hmm. I'm like an old man. I'll just go to the park (laughs) with a bag of peanuts and just be happy for hours I know one day we're going to build those little picnic table squirrel oh feeders God. or whatever. Yes. <laughs> All those obstacle courses. I love tricking animals into doing cute things they don't know they're doing. <laughs> they <don't realize. laughs> those little squirrel feeder heads where they poke yes. their heads up and it's I like love- a. <laughs> those are amazing. Amazing. Also, deer are pretty cool because you can just see them sort of coming out. You know, it's like yeah. a highway or something. Yeah. You can kind of see them go like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I swear this is there was a right. forest here a minute ago. Oh, man. True. 
So sometimes Chris would rescue hatchling birds that he would find, you know, out and about on the, on the ground outside a tree or something, and he would bring them home to feed them and care for them. Now, Aww. note, P.S., that this is not something you should do, and Chris oh. says the same, like, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that as a kid. Uh, I looked it up, and you can go to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife website. They've got great info mm -hmm. on what to do if you find a baby bird. Mm -hmm. But when Chris was seven, his parents took him to Yellowstone National Park, where his dad picked him up and carried him right up close to a bison, which also do not do. <laughs> Chris says in the interview, like, by the way, don't do that. It's not cool. Chris is like describing his wonderful childhood around all these animals. And he's like, but don't do any of the things that I did. Do not. This is <laughs> a bad idea. It's terrible. But that experience really kind of changed him because he was he said he was terrified at first. He just started crying because this mm -hmm. huge animal was in front of him. But when he looked at it and he saw these big glassy eyes and he watched its ears flicking and chasing away bugs and he heard it breathe through this big giant nose he says in that moment quote i realized there's a real being in there a real creature a thinking feeling animal that's powerful because oh, yeah. as a kid yeah big animals you probably just see a monster or something right that, like just wants it's out to get you or something yeah. like that and then yeah, you would have this interesting like paradigm shift where you're like, actually, this thing has like, got its own thing going on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really care about me. Well, and I love that moment with an animal where you just like, you catch it in its eyes. You just think for a second. You're like, this, that thing has its own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a whole being mm -hmm. that exists when I'm not looking at it. Yeah, You know, totally. that, that goes on about its day and has its own wants and needs and fears and... I think that's really powerful. And I think, honestly, some people don't have that connection. I, I don't know if they're enable, incapable of mm. doing so or if it just never hits them. But some right. people just think of animals differently. Yeah. Some people have to. I know I've heard farmers like, you know, that, you can't, you cannot make you that attachment or you won't survive. Right. You know, because you have to which eat. I understand. Yeah. But. Yeah. It makes sense. But it is hard because pigs are so cute. <laughs> Um, so Chris learned on the same trip that he met this bison and had this moment. Um, he learned on the same trip about the brash, arrogant push of American settlers west into the wild plains and how that nearly drove all bison to extinction. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he finally is like, oh, a thinking, feeling animal oh, that we killed a whole bunch of. Right. <laughs> so that was probably a difficult trip. <laughs> Uh, and this was something we knew, like, a little bit about, but we went on a tangent looking into it. You know how our wandering eye can be sometimes. <laughs> so let's have a quick fling with history. Oh, don't tell our main subject. I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, we're stepping out. <laughs> so in the 1700s, there were between 25 and 30 million bison, or buffalo, in North America. By the late 1880s, there were fewer than 100 left in the wild. Shocking. I mean, what a millions of bison yeah. gone. Yeah. And in 1889, J.M. Baltimore wrote in an essay titled In the Prime of the Buffalo that, quote, many thousands have been ruthlessly and shamefully slain every season for the last 20 years or more by white hunters and tourists merely for their robes and in sheer wanton sport. And their huge carcasses left to fester and rot, and their bleached skeletons to strew the deserts and lonely plains. And there are a lot of combined interwoven reasons for the mass buffalo slaughter. 
Uh, for one, buffalo leather was highly profitable. Sure, sure. Um, it was used in everything from machinery belts to army boots. So there was this huge commercial push to hunt buffalo right. and get that those skins. Right. And there was also, if you can believe it, a big colonizing aspect <gasps> to it as well. Yes, no. I know the late 1800s. What? U.S. settlers were moving west and they had a problem because there was already people living there. No um, way! Yeah. I thought we discovered this place. Yeah. And bison was one of the main food sources for the native people who lived in the Western Plains. And the U.S. Army sanctioned and actively endorsed mass slaughter of bison herds. This pressured native people to leave their lands or face starvation. Mm. It also forced their dependency on U.S. commerce. General Winfield Scott Hancock told several Arapaho chiefs in 1867, quote, You know well that the game is getting very scarce and that you must soon have some other means of living. You should therefore cultivate the friendship of the white man so that when all the game is gone, they may take care of you if necessary. Ugh. That's outrageous. I mean, to literally go in and be like, well... I personally destroyed all of your food so that now you better be friends with me so that I can give you food if you need it. Like, Even worse, he's like, you better try to be friends yeah, with me. Right. I yeah, killed you everything you need and now you better kiss my ass. Yep. Yep. Unbelievable. In 1869, the Army Navy Journal reported that General Sherman, yes, the, the famed General Sherman who marched burned south. Burned down and, Atlanta. <laughs> burned down Atlanta. Um said that sending regiments of soldiers to shoot buffalo until they became too scarce to support natives was, quote, the quickest way to compel the Indians to settle down to civilized life. Settle down to civilized life. Settle you down to civilized life, General Sherman. (laughs) The civilized life of wiping out as many buffalo as possible so that you can subjugate an entire people. (laughs) You know, the civilized Civilized. Professor David Smits suggests that frustrated U.S. Army soldiers took their aggression out on bison on their own accord because in their minds, the Plains Indians and the buffalo were intrinsically linked. So they were pissed that mm-hmm. they couldn't gain any ground or, you know, whatever. They're, if they had a bad day fighting or something or they were just racist and they just didn't like them. Sure. They were like, well, I'll just go shoot the buffalo. That's basically the same mm-hmm. as shooting indigenous people Uh, and whatever it was all these reasons combined were just horrible aspects of Mm -hmm. that same kind of aggressive colonization that uh or the u.s settlers were moving west and just just violently reshaping the world to be what they wanted it to be Mm -hmm. and all that combined with a long and intense drought from 1845 until 1860 the buffalo were nearing extinction. Mm. So, I mean, again, there's only 100 of them (laughs) left in the wild. So, fortunately, conservationists got to work before it was too late. In 1905, William Temple Hornaday founded the American Bison Society with support from President Teddy Roosevelt. And Native American groups have been essential to this effort as well, including the Intertribal Bison Council formed in 1990 and the Buffalo Field Campaign in 1996. So all in all, the bison number around 350,000 now in the U.S. 
guests, and they've been growing rapidly thanks to efforts from groups like these. So well, that's, that's nice that's to very hear. Good. Yeah. Even though, of course, you know the the damage to the native population was done, but at least yeah. there's still bison alive. And now Ted's Montana Grill has a mascot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's also you know that's one of the reasons Im- Im- it's important to include that it's not just you know American. U.S. conservation groups, but but indigenous tribes yeah. are working hard to repopulate the bison as well, mm-hmm. um, not just for ecological reasons, which are massive. I mean, these are part of an existing ecosystem right. that's really important, um, but also, uh, you know, they're important for spirituality and mm-hmm. culture. I mean, especially if so much of your roots, you yeah. know, your connection to your roots has been systematically destroyed Right. It just any anything that would connect you to yeah. how your ancestors lived would probably feel like a very strong thread. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, OK, that was a fun little fling. Um, you know, it was it nice was to sexy. go and kind of try something new with the bison for a minute. <laughs> we should be hanging out with the birds. Um, but the, the conference is over. It's time to go home to right, our main right. subject. <laughs> the conference. <laughs> Chris Crow and Walnut. So we're back to the birds. Yes. So Chris learned about this bison problem and he saw that the human efforts are what brought them back from extinction. So he realized something important. If we're the cause of extinction and endangerment, then we have to be the solution. Totally. He graduated from Virginia Tech in 1998, and he took on internships documenting birds for wildlife refuges and uh, eventually got a job with this amazing California condor reintroduction program where he spent a year in the desert around the Grand Canyon monitoring condors that had been reintroduced into the wild. Now, you don't just let them loose and say, good luck. You want to keep an eye on them. These are birds that had never been out in the wild before. Mm-hmm. He, he, would, he would carry meat around and make sure they were getting food, and, and you know, if they couldn't find it, oh. um, just to make sure they didn't starve to death. He wanted them to be self so like, I'm you know, not hand-feeding you, but I'll leave it somewhere for you right. to find, and then you'll figure it out. Exactly. Okay. And also making sure that they weren't nesting somewhere dangerous where maybe sure. there's a lot of tourist activity or something like that. Right on. So that was a super cool job where you just got to kind of wander around the desert for a year, you know, monitoring these condors. That's pretty awesome. And yeah, and he worked briefly in a wolf reintroduction program in North Carolina. And eventually in 2003, he landed a job raising whooping cranes. Now, raising cranes is for the birds. <laughs> Literally, it is for the birds. Because <laughs> like it's meant to be birds. <laughs> it is meant to be for birds to do. <laughs> because some birds have a tendency to imprint on humans. Mm. Um, the Wildlife Center of Virginia says, quote, imprinting is a form of learning in which an animal gains its sense of species identification. Okay. So like in Jurassic Park when he's like, I want to make sure I'm there when they're born. So they'll see my face and yeah. they'll be like, oh, don't eat that guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's grandpa. That's imprinting the dinosaur. <laughs> Um, and birds don't bust out of their eggs thinking, I'm a bird. You know, <laughs> you know they don't they don't know shit about anything. Right. And they kind of visually learn what they are by looking at the others around them. Right. During a critical and brief period of their development. Mm-hmm. So like monkey see, monkey do. You know, it's the same thing for birds. They need to see what they're supposed to be. Right. And they learn behaviors. They learn vocalizations. It helps them identify with other members of their species so they can choose a good mate later in life. And some species are more susceptible to imprinting than others. 
the timing of the imprinting stage varies among bird species. So mm-hmm. some it's like right out the egg. Sometimes it's a little older. Like yeah. you don't necessarily know. Yeah. And reversing the imprinting process is impossible. Right. Because, I mean, like, imagine somebody walking up to you one day and being like, hey, I know you think that you're a human, but um, actually you're a duck. <laughs> You'd be like, I'd be like what? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm a duck. That's quack. <laughs> yeah, you're quacking mine. That's ducking crazy. <laughs> ducking autocorrect. <laughs> So when Chris Crow was working with these cranes, he had to wear a special costume, like a bird costume <laughs> with feathers on it. And stuff. I, you know, lo- I love it. It must be so ridiculous, but, you know, it, it's important. Like, it looks goofy to you, but these mm-hmm. birds need it. Yeah. And he was only allowed to make bird-like noises when dealing with the chicks. Yeah, he couldn't walk up to him like, hey, guys, how are you doing yeah. today? Like, he had to straight up be like, burr, burr, burr. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's speaking, however they sound. <laughs> speaking to the chicks was forbidden. Yeah, he, he wow. says he had to, you know, if they were... Says they were like kids. If they were roughhousing or weren't paying attention when he's trying to feed them or something, he'd like have to make little clicking noises, like, oh. and uh, you know, he's like, and then they would stop what they're doing and look at the noise and and oh, get them to do what yeah, they need to do. He's, yeah. He was a lot like kids, but he couldn't speak English to them. So he worked this job for a while, but it was seasonal. So he was still looking for something more permanent. And then one day he saw an opening for a crane keeper position at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute in Front Royal, Virginia. Now, the SCBI is an extension of the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., which is obviously part of the Smithsonian uh, right. group of museums. And they play a leading role in veterinary medicine and reproductive physiology, conservation biology, all this in all these U.S. zoological efforts. Mm-hmm. And so it was here that he first locked eyes with his partner-to-be, She was a slender, beautiful lady with a long, gorgeous neck and legs for days. She sang off key like a muted trumpet, and her favorite food was dead mice. Yes, this is Walnut, the white-naped crane. Mm, White-naped cranes are about four feet tall. They weigh about 12 pounds, Mm -hmm. and they have long legs with a gray body and a gray and white striped neck. Beautiful. And they have long, pointed beaks and a red patch on their faces. And they're considered to be a threatened species with about 5,000 animals in the wild. Of course, the biggest threat to their dwindling population comes from habitat destruction. No surprise there. Um, It can take acres and acres of wetlands for these birds to thrive and breed. And in their home countries in East Asia, they're losing ground. There are areas where groups in Russia, Mongolia, and China are trying to reintroduce larger populations, and they partner with U.S. zoos and conservation groups for eggs and hatchlings. So it's like a big global partnership to try to, like, save this species from becoming extinct. And it's hugely important to keep a diverse population of cranes growing here at places like SCBI so they can introduce potential breeding birds into the wild. Right. Now, Walnut hatched on July 2nd of 1981. She's older than us. Oh, Um, finally. (laughs) And she was born in a barn in Wisconsin. It's like a nativity story. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Her parents, Mercury and Amazon, were captured illegally in China, and then they were intercepted by local authorities while they were being smuggled over to Hong Kong. Mm. And eventually, they found their way into the hands of the International Crane Foundation. Now, they would have 
ideally just reintroduce these birds into the wild, but they didn't know where they'd been, you know? So if you can't track them, you don't know what maybe diseases they picked up. And if you reintroduced birds like that into the wild, they might bring a foreign disease into a wild flock of birds and kill a whole bunch of them. Right. It's like a crane pandemic. Right. Right. The next thing you know, you get none of them. Yeah. The next mm-hmm. thing you know, we're all locking down, fighting about masks. <laughs> yeah. Somebody eat the crane. Now we all have a pandemic. Right. Jeez. So the best move for them to do with these two cranes was to add them to their repopulation efforts, which was a, a base in Wisconsin, okay. uh, which was, you know, a, a close enough habitat for them to survive in. Being wild caught birds made them incredibly valuable because most of the birds that they had in captivity were related. Mm-hmm. So inbreeding was a problem. If they were trying to create more eggs, it was really hard for them to find genetically diverse birds to start with. So fortunately, Mercury and Amazon showed up and they just start cranking out eggs. Huh. They loved it there. They really thrived in Wisconsin, which <laughs> it's hey, not, not a common some, some phrase. People do. Some people thrive in Wisconsin. <laughs> it's a beautiful country. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wisconsin I mean. is a state. No, no, I just mean the countryside. Oh. Like, it's beautiful. You know, it used to be like Montana. It's beautiful country. Like, right. No, I get you. Not a beautiful country. I thought you said a beautiful country. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean. <laughs> a beautiful part of the country. There you go. Um, You know, I might, I don't know if I would thrive there. I would do well for probably six months out of the year, which uh, mm-hmm. to be fair is not unlike Atlanta. <laughs> no, right? I think I would really enjoy going. It's one of those places you, you know, don't necessarily think of when you're trying to think of like a vacation destination but there's definitely some states like that that I'd be like you know what I would totally spend a week there and just like enjoy the as you say beautiful country the big you know whatever wildlife and stuff because we do live in the middle of a city it's a green city but it's like yeah come on so they were there they're they're loving it and in the first year alone they produced nine chicks including walnut you think Amazon was tired (laughs) (laughs) yeah now, Walnut's hatching was kind of unceremonious. You know, she's the seventh chick to arrive that summer. They're like, we're done with birthday parties, you know. Boring. <laughs> oh, geez, it. another one? <laughs> Mercury and Amazon, slow it down a little. Jeez, well, maybe we should separate them for a day or two. <laughs> and you know that they threw a baby shower every, every single time. time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they had gender reveal parties all over Wisconsin. Oh, no. <laughs> And though they understood how imprinting worked in the early 80s, like, for example, they would group chicks together. They would keep mirrors in their habitats. Oh, you know, So smart. they would look and see themselves, you know, and be like, oh, another bird. Birds like, love mirrors. Right? I you mean, know. humans love mirrors. Let's, well. Let's be real. <laughs> Everybody loves a mirror. <laughs> humans are almost dumber with mirrors than birds are. <laughs> We're just like birds. We're just, just like <laughs> cocking your head from side to side. What is that? I remember like going to school at Georgia State University, which is uh-huh. in downtown Atlanta. And so you pass a lot of businesses with giant windows. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just you'd Everybody. get your reflect. You'd always look. You'd side eye. <laughs> Everybody has their heads Everybody's tilted towards those windows. <laughs> I mean, true. it's kind of cool. How often do you get to see yourself walk in profile? I mean, you know. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> you kind of look over. You're like, oh, I look pretty good today. Oh, oh God. Oh, ah. I can't believe I'm out of the house right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or you see those windows and you're like, oh, my God, I'm a duck. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, yeah. So, they, you know, they had some tricks to prevent imprinting from happening uh-huh. in, in this time period. But some birds were still really big troublemakers. And might even peck their siblings to death. So if they, you know, if you had a troublemaker bird, you had to kind of figure something else out. Yeah. And they would have to separate them from the the other birds. 
And this is probably what happened with Walnut. It's likely a volunteer just kind of paid too much attention to her. Maybe even they hand-raised her or carried her around like a baby. Mm. They're not really sure, but they're like, it was something along those lines. Because George Archibald, who's the founder of ICF, said of Walnut, quote, I've just never seen a bird that strongly imprinted. Mm. Because she was like obsessed with humans. And she had no time for cranes at all. Like right. she was like, "Fuck a crane." I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm she was a like, <laughs> she was like, "I'm just, I'm gonna move to New York City with eight dollars in my pocket and become <laughs> famous, just like Madonna." She's like, "I got dreams. I got dreams, baby. Look at these legs. I'm gonna, <laughs> look at this neck. Yes, I'm going places." But this level of attention is really bad for walnuts. Yeah. Um, Because cranes mate for life, and they are not solitary animals. They thrive in pairs. So if you imprint one too hard and they really don't see themselves as a crane, they're going to be lonely. You're dooming them to a lonely life. Yeah. And Walnut ended up being transferred from zoo to zoo on this nationwide hunt for love. (laughs) Everybody was trying to pair Walnut up with someone. But no matter how hard she looked, she just could not find a mate. In fact, somewhere along the line, it was rumored that Walnut had even murdered other male cranes. Two of them, they said, she sliced their bellies open after they made advances on her. Damn! Yeah, this this girl is not- Better not crane call me! (laughs) She's like, I ain't got time for you. What'd you- How'd you just bob your head at me? I don't think so. Slash, slash. So no zoos ever actually admitted to that happening. But I mean, these are very rare birds and it would be pretty embarrassing if one of them died on their watches. So they, they probably wouldn't admit it. You right, know? right. <laughs> but They're like somehow this bird's stomach got sliced open. Who, who knows how that happened? <laughs> the keepers of Walnut later on said, yeah, it probably happened. She probably is it's a serial believable. killer. <laughs> yeah. But in either case, Walnut just was not finding love. Tonight on The Hatchlorette, finding a mate hasn't been easy, but Walnut isn't ready to fly away just yet. Bobo is a handsome crane who made a fortune in the stork market, but his resurfaced tweets make him a awkward choice. Last night, Walnut and Lucky shared a special moment over cocktails until he stuck his beak where it didn't belong, but he says he has no regrets. Walnut, it's time for you to choose who will go home and who will get the gift of a dead mouse carcass. Oh, and it looks like Walnut has eaten the mouse herself. And she's... Oh, oh God. Oh, God. She's decapitated both of her suitors. Well, this, this is flocking unprecedented. But we promise you Walnut is going to find love. But these birds don't work for peanuts. So we're going to go to a commercial break and be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? 
time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play all right and we're back i'm ready to watch that <laughs> the hatchlorette game show yes i would totally watch <laughs> somebody call the guys who put on the puppy bowl whoever puts on the puppy bowl <laughs> they need to also have the hatchlorette <laughs> okay so walnut is having a tough time finding love none of the zoos were able to find her a mate and she wasn't fulfilling her birdly duties in terms of helping repopulate her species. I got some birdly duties on the car the other day. <laughs> <laughs> really, really made me mad. Some birds are more dedicated to their duty than others. Yes. I mean. <laughs> That's all. So ultimately, she was sent off to the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute with the hopes that she could pair with another bird there. Or at the very least, she would live out her life in a protected space that could provide for her. So it's sort of like, we hope, because she's so genetically useful, yeah. we we'll hope you can mate her, but at least she'll be somewhere safe. Yeah. It's, it's very similar to what your parents said uh, when you met me. They they pulled me aside <laughs> and they were like, we're hoping this works out, but at the very least, <laughs> you know, uh, she'll, she won't go hungry. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I don't think it worked out. I would eat nothing but buttered noodles if it weren't for you. <laughs> So she arrived in 2004, and as the offspring of two wild-caught birds, Walnut was considered the most genetically valuable white-naped crane in captivity. Mm. And that kind of genetic diversity doesn't just fall into your lap, so they knew they needed to get some babies out of this bird. Right. They were like, whatever we got to do. So this murder bird shows up, and the people at SCBI need to assign her a keeper. So they're all having a meeting about it. They're hanging out in this room and they all slowly turn their heads to the back of the room and stared at the new guy, Chris Crow. <laughs> they're like, last one in, first one out. Am I right? <laughs> in his first week, Chris was charged with caring for 17 cranes and 36 ducks. I'm, I'm assuming that's a normal number to start sounds with. Sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> they just kept piling like, birds on his plate. I feel like one 
one robin would be like, that's okay. Oh, Give me yeah. a couple weeks with this bird. <laughs> but Walnut stood out amongst all these other birds. When Chris approached the chain link fence where the birds were kept, most of them scurried away. But Walnut, she strutted right up. She ruffled her feathers and she started growling. He said, quote, I didn't quite understand at this point, but these were territorial displays. Hmm. Like this bird was not afraid to draw a line and set boundaries. Yes. Right. And cranes, they don't mess around. They have razor sharp claws and they can tear through skin and clothes like with precision. Yikes. I mean, literally that Jurassic Park scene about the velociraptors. Like, right. <laughs> just slash, slash. Birds, yep. are, birds are dinosaurs. And then you look down and you see your guts spilling out and you're like, what happened? You're like, why am I a duck? <laughs> um, <laughs> why did I fuck with this crane? I know, but uh, I mean, maybe not the razor sharp claws part, but boundaries. We should all have some white naped crane <laughs> energy about yeah. our boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> and if you need the razor sharp claws, you know. I mean, you need the razor sharp claws. You need them, you need them. But when spring came around... They were very excited because they finally found a good genetic match for walnut. Aww. Now, here's something I bet you didn't know existed. Hmm. The Association of Zoos and Aquariums White Naped Crane Stud Book. Oh. Ow. <laughs> stud book. A stud book. I wonder if I'm in any stud books out there. <laughs> They're like, Walnut, why don't you flip through these pages and pick your favorite? <laughs> yeah, and she's right. like, well, this guy's a Harvard grad. That's pretty hot. <laughs> this guy can play the piano. This guy's a duck. Does he know <laughs> he's a duck? I don't think this is my species. <laughs> And the AZA says, quote, the purpose of a stud book compiled and maintained by an AZA regional stud book keeper, what a job, <laughs> is to document the pedigree and entire demographic history of each animal within a managed population. Okay, yeah. So I feel like I've, I feel like I've heard of these for like horses. Yeah, sure. Especially sure. like breeders, you know, they mm-hmm. kind of track the lineage there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that's a huge business, too. If you, if you have a, a good breeding horse... Man, the, you make a lot of money off of that. My entire understanding of breeding racing horses comes from the movie Hidalgo with Viggo Mortensen. What a great movie. That's a great, that fun adventure great movie. movie. And I think it revolves around somebody having a secret stud book, you oh, know, about the perfect, right? these perfect Arabian horses oh, okay. that the prince was breeding. I just think about Ozark when they found that really expensive racehorse that they were trying to breed. Oh, yeah. And did that operation. They were like, what the fuck oh, is I wrong with you? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Ozark. Ozark. Our, our good friend Jason Bateman's show, Ozark. Yeah, yeah. You know, we got to support our friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, the stud bookkeeper <laughs> consulted the, the ancient text <laughs> and determined that the best mate for Walnut is a crane Named Ray. Oh, hey, Ray. And that brings us to this episode's Side Chick. So Ray already had a mate named Abigail. And Abigail's a take-no-shit bitch. She wasn't about to have some murderous crane who'd been bouncing around from zoo to zoo, picking up who knows what along the way, come in and take my stud. (laughs) So ultimately, Ray was not a good option for Walnut after all. Yeah. <laughs> and you can be sure he spent all night in the hen house after even having the audacity to suggest such a thing to Abigail. <laughs> She's like, get <laughs> out. She said, you sleep on the couch tonight and think about what you did. <laughs> and then we'll have nine more eggs tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so 
the only option left to breed walnut was artificial insemination. And obviously, this is not fun for anyone. At least two people have to first go get bird semen from an unwilling bird. Yikes. Uh, which I guess we'll just leave to your imagination. Again, a weird job. Animal conservation. You know, you're just like, I grew up as a kid being like, I'll be a firefighter. Uh-huh. And then the next thing you know, like, it turns out I'm a stud book keeper for white-naped <laughs> cranes. Or my job today is to jack off an unwilling crane. <laughs> like, what a weird world. Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, it's not glamorous, no. the conservation life, but it's it's meaningful. Very important. Yes. <laughs> so once they get this bird semen, they, of course, then have to go inject it into a female bird. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a whole process here that's been studied and modified over the year to be the least stressful to birds as possible, because obviously these are people who care about wildlife and they don't want to put them through trauma. Sure. It's also can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, razor sharp claws, <laughs> boundaries, claws. you know. <laughs> so here's how Washington Post describes Walnut's first encounter with this. Chris and another zookeeper grab Walnut from underneath her wings and the zookeeper holds her between his legs while Chris crouched behind her and, quote, massaged Walnut's cloaca, an all-purpose orifice that birds use for defecation as well as reproduction. They apply gentle pressure to her back to mimic the weight of a male crane, and Walnut, you know, seems to respond to that. She purrs, her cloaca opens, and Chris quickly injected her with the semen they'd collected from Ray. Ugh, again. What do I do today, guys? Oh, I'm massaging a butthole, apparently. That's my <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> and a few weeks later, Walnut laid her first two fertilized eggs. Yay. Yay! But they had to take these away from her and secretly slip them into Ray and Abigail's nest. Mm. Because wild cranes take turns sitting on their eggs. And it would have just been too much for Walnut to care for them all by herself. Because, of course, she doesn't have an actual crane partner. Right. And plus, they weren't even sure if Walnut, you know, saw herself as a bird. So they were like, she might not even recognize the baby cranes as her own once they hatch. Oh, yeah. Like, she could possibly kill. Yeah. She thinks she's Madonna. Right. And then some birds hatching her nest. She's going to be like, yeah, get these monsters out of here. What the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> can you, Also, can you imagine Abigail and Ray? Like, <laughs> and I know, Abigail's right? like, I don't remember laying these two extra eggs. <laughs> Ray, Ray, where do these come from, huh? Ray's like, I really don't know. know. Some people came in and gave me a hand job and left. <laughs> Next thing I knew, we got two extra babies. I swear, baby, I never left the nest. He's I was got here. like three crane, baby cranes in his arms and his wings. He's like, I, I don't know, two more? I don't know if we can handle this, honey. It's like Mari, but who's the mother? Yeah. <laughs> Ray's there like, who the fuck is the mother? Because it's not my wife. <laughs> Abigail. You are not the mother of these birds. (gasps) She gets up all mad. (laughs) But no, fortunately, Abigail did not dip these eggs out of her nest or reject them or anything like that. The babies hatched. They had two new birds from a completely new genetic line. They were finally here to diversify the species. So that went well. Uh But this was not going to be the only time that they did this process, obviously. Because again, Walnut's still the most valuable crane in captivity. And she would need to produce chicks every year. And this artificial insemination process, as we've talked about, sounds and was difficult and dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) And the risk of injury to either the bird or the humans doing it was very, very high. 
the stress of the situation could lead to problems with fertilization, which makes sense to me. I mean, if you're sitting here struggling, freaking out. Right, right. Who's to say your body reacts properly, you know? And Chris had really grown to care about Walnut. You know, he's there to care about the birds. It's right. not like he's completely indifferent it's or his whatever. his chosen job. Right. Right. And he was just kind of like, I wish there was something, there was another way. I wish this was a bit easier and not so traumatizing for her. Yeah. So later that summer, Walnut's behavior started to change around Chris. When he approached her yard, she started bobbing her head and raising her wings up and down, which actually are the first moves of the white-naped crane's mating dance. At first, Chris thought that she was just excited to see him, but then he saw other pairs of cranes doing the same dance. So he's feeling kind of silly, and he starts looking around, making sure, you know, nobody else is watching. And Chris starts imitating her. He'd bob his head when she did. He would raise his arms, you know, when she starts flapping her wings and move his legs like she did. They would circle each other. And sometimes Walnut would even tilt her head back and make this loud trumpeting crow. But so far, this was about all that ever happened. Mm-hmm. And as summer turned to fall, Walnut seemed to get less and less interested in dancing with Chris. Mm. All right, hot crane summer was over. It was time for cold turkey fall. <laughs> right, all right? Yeah. She's like, I'm tucking it in. Uh-huh. It's time to bundle up. <laughs> exactly. Get, you know, put some weight on. You know, I don't worry Lay about it. On, yeah. You know. Get under a blanket. <laughs> Shutting down my Tinder profile. <laughs> my Tind bird. What is it? Tind, um, tind bird is the best I can think That's of. the best. It's not very good. All right. <laughs> we'll do better. Later in the episode, I'm going to we'll be like, oh, I got it. <laughs> you'll, you'll get there. But then the next spring, she started up again. And Chris started to think, you know, if I can win this bird over, maybe the artificial insemination process would be easier and safer and maybe even consensual. That'd be exciting. <laughs> But cranes are picky mates. So how is he going to get under those feathers? Mm. Well, we'll find out right after this commercial beak. Oh. Hey. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. There's a lot happening these days. 
but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. And welcome back to the show, birdies. So, yeah, so Chris Crow is trying to slide into Walnut's DMs. Sure. I mean, he's really just trying to stop force breeding this bird and make it a little more pleasant for everyone. Makes sense. And she's shown some interest. Mm -hmm. So he does what any good boyfriend would do. He starts paying attention. Oh, Chris. He's listening. He's (laughs) learning what she likes and what turns her on. He's responding to her cues and giving her what she needs. I mean, no wonder she fell in love. (laughs) This is like uh, people say about Pete Davidson. They're like, how does he keep getting these girls? And they're like, well, he's nice. I know. (laughs) Well, he's actually just a nice guy. Or Carlo Ponti. Yeah. And you know, similar thing. She's just like, he was just nice to me. Mm -hmm. It's just like Governor Morris. Yeah. Like, I would just listen to him and they're like, too much. <laughs> <laughs> He's setting the bar pretty high there, Way buddy. Way high, bro. So first, Chris started to observe other cranes in the sanctuary. Mm. And there was a pair named Brenda and Eddie who performed a very similar dance. And Brenda seemed to love it when Eddie brought her material for her nest. Oh. You know, ladies love a home good, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so Chris thought maybe gifts were the way to Walnut's heart. And he started approaching her with sticks and straws, you know, giving it a whirl. Mm -hmm. But she was very picky. Uh, Okay, you got to get it right. Don't just bring a basket. (laughs) Bring the right basket. Uh, Some of the sticks and twigs and stuff he would give her, she would like toss away like, no, this is garbage. (laughs) What is crap? (laughs) What, did you go to the Dollar Tree? (laughs) Do you need me? Do I have to start doing the shopping too? (laughs) (laughs) While others seemed just right. Okay, okay. Mm, What's that crate and barrel? This is good shit. (laughs) And he studied the difference and realized that she was very particular about the length and circumference of individual sticks. (laughs) Ladies. (laughs) Size matters. Uh, (laughs) And later he said that year to year, those preferences change. So he was probably like, I got it down. She likes a six inch stick. That's about two inches in girth. And then, like, the next year, she's like, mm, four-inch sticks only. I really have a, just a different pattern in mind. <laughs> Centimeters are in this year. <laughs> but, yeah, but when he got it right, she loved it. She was always very happy. So he was really trying to play to her preferences, mm-hmm. figure out what she liked, and then provide that thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a lesson. Mm-hmm. Pretty smart. <laughs> but... Despite all this, you know, stick giving and nest building, Walnut still had a strict no touching rule. Mm -hmm. And Chris wanted to respect that. Mm -hmm. She said, Chris, this is a PG relationship. That's right. Okay. We can talk. We can Mm -hmm. stay up all night on the phone laughing. You can bring me gifts. I could be very delighted by you, but you keep those fleshy mitts to yourself. That's right. 
This is like a first grade boyfriend. Yeah. Thing. Like we're yeah. not doing any of that stuff. Yeah. We got to leave some room for Jesus yeah. when we're dancing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so like training any intelligent animal, Chris starts to use positive reinforcement. He would stretch his arm out and kind of gently brush her tail feathers and then immediately toss her her favorite treat, a dead mouse. And slowly but surely, Chris went from ruffling her feathers to pushing her buttons. And soon Walnut even started purring like a cat when he pet her. That would be very flattering. Oh, yeah. If a bird started purring at me, I'd be like, God, I must be doing something right. Uh-huh. And then one day, the magic happened. Oh. Chris was stroking Walnut's back. She was purring. Her eyes were half closed. She had a coy little smile on her beak. (laughs) (laughs) And then she decided, yeah, this guy's the one. Oh, wow. I can give it up to him. (laughs) She's really saving herself. So she turned away from, she's, it's okay, ladies, have high standards. Absolutely. And gentlemen, you know what? (laughs) Don't just let the first bird who flutters over fall into your nest forever. First guy who <laughs> massages your back. <laughs> yeah. Don't give Don't him the cloaca. Don't open your cloaca for the first guy who strokes your back. Uh, but yeah, this was working out for her. She turned away from him. She extended her wings and lifted her tail. And the Washington Post article says she was asking Chris to perform something called the cloacal kiss. Look, I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. <laughs> I know, but right? Birds. I don't. I don't. Even. I don't want to kiss any cloacas <laughs> of any species. So, for most birds, males and females, they both have a cloaca. Mating occurs briefly when they kind of bump uglies <laughs> and then just like <laughs> bump them together, and it's all good. <laughs> and Chris said, "Quote: It's what I had been working towards and hoping for, but it was still surprising when it happened. <laughs> yeah. I think so. If a bird was like offering up her butt to me, I'd be like, oh." oh. <laughs> Uh, Now's the time. All right. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, Chris, he's basically a bird virgin. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't very good at first. You know, he wasn't keeping keeping her satisfied. (laughs) He had a hard time figuring out what to do with his hands. He said he would start massaging her back where a male crane would be. And she liked that. But when he moved his hands to other areas, she would get huffy and stop and walk away. He said, quote, it took a little time for me to figure out how to have one hand on one spot and another hand on the other spot. (laughs) Sure. You know, we all have to learn that. (laughs) It it seems like a basic. Well, but eventually move to have your two hands in two different places. But, you know, when you're nervous, you might freeze up and be like, these go here. Right. Right. Okay, but they can. Do more, or you, or you take him away, and she's like, "No, I was enjoying that." You'd really mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you gotta your consistency is important too. Thank Sometimes you, you really gotta keep going with the same motion, oh, keep okay. your hands in the same, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, you've got two hands; they could be doing two different things. Oh yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, I guess if it's a bird, <laughs> you might be like, "Well, I know what I know what human women like," but I have no idea hey, what you're into. How different? How different is it? How different could it be? You know? I mean. <laughs> so, eventually, though, they got their routine down, and in March of 2007, it was time to try the real thing. Mm. That this first this first presentation that Walnut made was in the winter, but you know you couldn't fertilize the bird then because it'd be too early to lay the eggs. So they waited for spring. They got their ray semen, and Chris and Walnut did their little dance, their little ritual, and he was able to inject Walnut without any help and her willing participation. Nice. Way to go, Chris Crow. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. 
As of 2018, Walnut and Chris produced seven chicks this way, all of them raised by other crane couples. And at least two of those chicks have gone on to pair with other cranes so far and bred other chicks of their own. So, in fact, in 2008, Walnut's title as most genetically valuable crane in captivity was stolen by some bird named Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Walnut was like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. She's lame as hell. But it was because it was for a great reason because Walnut's genes, you know, were out there now. They're mixing into the population. Yeah, so yeah. It was the kind of title you want to lose, I guess. Right. And Amanda had very few relatives, so she was like a fresh genetic specimen. Yeah. And Amanda became another side chick for Chris. Oh. She was sent to SCBI to see if Chris could work his mating magic with her too. So I guess the word was getting around the conservation. Uh-huh. They're like, this guy's <laughs> real good with his hands on these white naved cranes. And now Chris Crow was very experienced. He weren't no bird virgin anymore. So he had no trouble wooing and cooing this chick. And after that, they sent him another difficult-to-breed female named Wu Chang. And it was the same thing. Like, she also was willing to, quote-unquote, mate with Chris. Right. But he says that the birds can't see each other with him or they'll get crazy jealous. Oh, damn. Okay. No polyamory in the white-naped crane community. (laughs) He said, quote, I have called them by the wrong name before, but they don't seem to notice. Oh, damn. Walnut's like, uh, who's Wu Chang? (laughs) She turns her head. Amanda, what? (laughs) (laughs) And Amanda and Wu Chang were both actually able to pair off with other male cranes. But for Walnut and Chris, this is the real thing, and they're paired for life. Mm. The Smithsonian says the oldest known crane lived to be 45 years old in captivity. And right now, Walnut is 41. But Washington Post reported that they could live as old as 60. So in theory... Walnut and Chris could still be together for maybe even another two decades. Mm. Chris is 45 right now, I believe. So, you know, this could be a substantial part of his life. Um, I mean, I guess it already has in a lot of ways. Chris loves birds, but he did say that his dream job would be to go back with the wolf reintroduction programs. That was something he really was passionate about. He loves wolves. He's like, people shouldn't be so scared of wolves Mm because they're really amazing. They're really important ecologically. But the article does point out that wolf reintroduction programs are more controversial and therefore they're harder to come by. Mm -hmm. But crane programs are an easy sell. People love these beautiful birds. You know, they're not a threat. People are more than willing to support their repopulation efforts. So those programs get a lot more funding. Mm -hmm. They can hire more people. There's more of them. Mm hmm. And their image makes them a really good umbrella species, which is a single animal that draws a lot of attention to conservation for an entire ecosystem. Right, like pandas yeah. or uh, dolphins or Sure, whales. exactly. Yeah, there's just like one. I'm just thinking of all the movies as a kid. <laughs> it right. was like a chimpanzee, an orangutan. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It was just the one that made you care enough about wildlife that you'd be like, exactly. and now I guess also you should save a bug and a reptile. Yeah, you and- might be like, we have to save this centipede. And everyone's like, I don't care <laughs> about the squish it. It's gross. gross. And you're like, all right, eggs. how about I have to save this adorable monkey? And they're like, yes, protect that habitat. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah. But despite Chris's interest in wolves, he says he could never leave Walnut. Aww. He said, quote, if she's still here when I'm eligible for retirement, I won't be able to leave. I just feel like a jerk. Oh, that's dedication. Yeah. 
Because, yeah, these birds mate for life. And Chris had seen firsthand what happens when a crane loses their mate. It's very traumatic. They may stop eating. They sometimes cry loudly for weeks at a time. Oh. It must be so hard to hear that. Yeah. I, feel like it's, I can't even say anything. Right. Or, or like my human instinct to like go sit with and comfort, uh, yeah. uh, an upset animal and stroke them or try to make them feel better. Like right. You can't do that at all. You right. just kind of have to let it be. Like, it must be just very difficult. Yeah. So Chris knows that. And, he, you know, he doesn't want to be the source of that kind of trauma or grief mm-hmm. for Walnut. So he's very committed to this partnership. He continues to spend every day with her. He dances and performs their mating ritual when she asks, although it's unlikely that the stud book will call on Walnut to actually breed again. So fortunately, he doesn't have to do so much. Yeah. <laughs> Cloaca stroking and stuff. <laughs> and Chris says, you know, he's heard every joke a 100,000 oh, times. Sure. I mean, I'm sure. Uh, his favorite is... What's the difference between erotic and kinky? I don't know. What's the difference? Erotic, you use a feather. Kinky, you use the whole bird. (laughs) (laughs) And of himself, he said, quote, I'll never find a woman that's so happy to see me that she just starts dancing. (laughs) Now, Chris, don't sell yourself so short. There might be a lady out there who's willing to lift her wings for you. You know. Now, after they go through their little mating ritual, walnut may lay unfertilized eggs And Chris will replace those with fake ones because the real ones would just rot and attract pests Mm. and and crows, like real crows, not Chris Crow. Um, (laughs) And uh, and that would actually make walnut lay more. Oh, Uh, that's, I guess, just an instinct. Like, oh, better crank out another one. I guess. Yeah. If you saw one like, oh, that didn't hatch. There's something wrong with it. I, I need to overproduce. So he puts dummy eggs in her nest, which she'll sit on for hours. But like we said, it's too much work for a single bird to sit on her nest all day. So like a good partner, Chris will come in and he'll he'll stand by the nest. He'll say, all right, go take a break. And she'll get up and wander off knowing that he's going to keep an eye on these eggs, that they're safe. She'll go down to the water. She'll bathe. She'll strut around for a while, maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then she'll come back to sit on the nest again. Oh, he's doing his part. Yeah. To raise the children. Right. Or the fake children. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, because, you know, because these cranes mate for life, they almost never step out of each other's sights. But of course, Chris can't be there 24 hours a day. He doesn't work weekends. uh, So he's not it's not quite the same. Yeah. But she's so excited to see him every morning when he returns. She greets him with dances and purring sounds. And she does know that whenever he leaves, he'll be back. And Chris says her endless love is inspiring. He said, quote, the ideal partner doesn't exist. You have to accept certain things that people can't change. I mean, she puts up with me even though I can't dance or sing. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, all summer long, five days a week, Chris goes through the motions with his crane wife. He says it's, quote, not exactly fun for me, but it keeps Walnut happy. And ultimately, he says, hopefully it's just a goofy story that will get people's attention. Because white-naped cranes are continuing to decline in the wild, largely because people just don't seem to care that much when measured up against expansion and profit and all of our other human impulses. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) And sometimes we just don't know. Like one of the white-naped cranes' habitats in winters that they migrate to is actually the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. Oh. Right? Like we all want that conflict to subside. But these birds have been settling there for a long time. And if and when that does happen and they 
take yeah, those walls right. down, there's already developers and farmers that have their sites set on that land. Mm -hmm. I read they're even considering building this unification city in between the two Koreas. So whatever they do, that mm -hmm. habitat is going to get wiped out. Yeah. So hopefully Chris is right. And this goofy story will just help people to understand that these are living things with thoughts and feelings and love and attachment, you know, and they deserve to be saved. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, we'll go ahead and say that you can donate to the SCBI through nationalzoo.si.edu slash conservation. Um, or just, you know, find a local wildlife conservation effort in, in your area. See what you can do. Mm -hmm. Or now I'm going to say something crazy right now. Hmm. We could, we could make some big changes. Look at our own consumption habits, maybe hmm. try to trace them back to the damage that they might do, and just just see what we can do to minimize and reduce and reuse and recycle and all those good things that might help. Uh, you know, might help out Walnut and her friends. Sounds hard. <laughs> Look, yes, we can blame the corporations for how they're destroying the world. And we should. And we should. But also, honestly, I think corporations are the ones saying that. I've heard a lot of people saying in the last few years, like, you know, the real, the real people to go after are these businesses because they're responsible. And I'm mm -hmm. like, yes, 100% true. Right. But also, don't you think the corporations are dropping that message because it tells all people, like, don't change your purchasing habits. Blame us. Mm. You know, don't change what you're doing. Yeah, oh, we're the bad guys. That's fine. Just keep buying stuff. Huh. You know, I'm just saying it's both. Yeah, maybe it's so. It's both. Maybe so. It's us and them. It might just be one of those horrible catch-22 type yeah, things. Yeah, Because it, it is, like, an individual going to zero waste is right. simply not going to do oh, enough. no, no. Unless... Companies stop packaging everything in plastic. Right. I mean, especially, you know, now you're seeing in the grocery store a single banana wrapped in plastic oh or a fucking God. orange or something. And you're like, what why? That? What is the point of that? I always thought it was so weird at Trader Joe's that you can't right. get produce, just pick out produce. Like you have to get three shrink wrapped tomatoes together. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know, you know, you and I, we're not like great at zero waste or anything, but right. we're definitely trying to cut as much plastic out of yeah. our lives as we can. You know, there's a few changes. I'm, I'm not going to say that we're super inconveniencing ourselves or something, right. but there's little things you can do that you barely even notice. The difference between trying mm -hmm. and, you know, what the, the 80s, you know, <laughs> when nobody even fucking tried, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a big difference. It is a difference. I think it's it helps. True. It's true. Um, so think about Walnut next time. Yeah. I love this story. I love it's it. So I also cute. love it. His name is Chris Crow. Like That's... I don't. We haven't really gotten into that. No. And but he's like, is... yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. But I just think that's incredible that he's like, I want to work with like bison or like wolves. And they're like, mm, actually, <laughs> you're like J.K. Rowling yeah. game where you're like, sorry, Your Newt Scamander, you're gonna work on. <laughs> you're gonna work with animals, okay? <laughs> like Chris Crow. I'm sorry. You're gonna work with the birds, okay? Uh -huh. <laughs> oh man. And I really love. Um, there's something bittersweet about it, too, because, I mean, this is a guy who's really put his life on hold. Yeah, that's um, true. I mean, it's it's a real commitment to this bird that even though it's just his working hours, um, that's his like he said, he couldn't re he not couldn't necessarily retire if he wanted to, because mm -hmm. he's got this commitment 
to a living thing that depends on him mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, you know, if he went away, it could destroy them. And you've got to imagine he has those moments where he's like picturing his life after Walnut. Yeah. And how much freedom he might earn from that. But then that comes with guilt, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or then even like if she did pass away in a couple of years. Yeah. You know, she was such a big part of his days and yeah. his life that even if he was kind of like, one day it'll be nice to not worry about this, like it would still be a giant void. Right. You know, again, much like having to take care of like an older family member yeah. or a, an older pet or something where they're just becoming more of a full time job than you expected. Yeah. And yeah. of course, you don't want to like dip out and leave them, you know, without yeah. you defenseless and. Whatever, but you find yourself, as you say, guiltily, kind of shamefully thinking about that, how nice it would be to not have to worry about that. And then immediately, probably, or even at the same time, feeling incredibly sad to to think about that presence not being in your life anymore. Yep. Even if it was a lot of work or difficult or whatever, yep. it's still someone or something that you love very much. And you're like, I... I, I get frustrated all the time, but I would rather do this than not have you at all. Yeah. You know, it, and you, it just must be very, like you said, a, a kind of a tug of war in, right. within your, an internal sort of tug of war. And when you commit to a living thing, a person or an animal um, or a plant, even, I suppose, to some degree, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like you need people. to consider mm -hmm. those challenges. Right. And you need to understand that you are committing to the responsibility of those challenges as well. And I think this is so such a fascinating story uh, how Chris just gets he didn't grow up thinking I'm going to I'm going to impregnate a, a single <laughs> bird over and over again I'm when I grow up. buttholes all day long. <laughs> he, but that's where he ended up. And, right? and he and he loves it. and He's committed to it. It's amazing. And it's important work. I yes. mean, clearly he's he's made a huge difference with right. this this partnership right. in the population of the white-naped crane, yep. probably a lot of other less directly affecting, but a lot of other conservation efforts in terms of habitats and so on that are coming from that work yeah. and being able to say, well, now we got way more cranes that yeah. need somewhere to live. So, yeah. you know, we got to work on that, you know, on and on. It's like ripples in a pond or whatever. And so it's just really cool to see somebody dedicate their life to something so selfless. Yeah. Man, it's so weird because there's some animal news lately that I've been very fascinated by, mm -hmm. like ev evolutionarily. Yeah. Like they were talking about how um, elephants are now evolving to have smaller tusks. Oh, yeah. Or so no tusks at all. Yeah. Because then they won't be poached, uh -huh. which is so crazy to think about your body figuring that out yeah. and genetically modifying itself. Like that's or I guess it's just because they just don't have them and then they mate. It's that natural selection, yeah. yeah. The ones that with the little tusks live. Yeah. And the ones with big tusks get murdered. They're murdered. So yeah. they, they have to. And then they were talking about that bird that went extinct and then re-evolved itself yeah. into being alive now. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's great news, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's cool that he managed to figure it out. But uh -huh. like, that's so crazy too to think about. You know, I, I just am, I wonder if one day you woke up and found out the dodo's back or, you know, that, it, you know, <laughs> I found a velociraptor in the Amazon or something. I wish. Like, what? How? 
know. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just worked out evolutionarily for it to come back. No, but anyway, I'm so glad that we got a chance to do this story because yes. I really, I think I squealed with delight when it came across my timeline. Yes, definitely. And we were like, maybe it's too weird. I don't know if it's a real romance. And then y'all were like, <laughs> do this story. So I'm yes. very glad that we got a chance to shoehorn it in. Oh, definitely. <laughs> shoe bill it in. Shoe bill? We got the shoe, shoe bill. Oh, I was going to come up with a bird t- tinder. Um, oh, yeah, you were going to. A bird tinder. Uh, well, fender would be the fish one, obviously. Duh. That's easy. Cute. Um, but for birds, it'd probably be like... Um, it should be like called birds of a feather or like flock together. Oh, yeah, or like... Flocker. Flocker? Flocker's good. <laughs> Flocker. But I feel like that's for like bird orgies. Right, that's the tint. The tin- it's like grinder. I yeah. guess bird grinder is flocker. You're like you're just there for. Are grinder and Tinder different? Well, grinder is mostly, I think, for a gay gay right, men, but same same thing, right? And Otherwise, I think then the Tinder same. came out, and it was more of a hookup app. Yeah, okay. For, for also straight people. Okay. And then like coffee meets bagel or match or cupid or what? Uh-huh. I don't know. All the there's so many hinge. Is there something there? Squawky hinge? meets bagel. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, a bagel. <laughs> Squawky meets bagel. Birds love bagels. You know? Who doesn't love a bagel? I mean, come on. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> come on. That's true. I could use a bagel right now. I think Flocker is. I think you. Ca- I think you got it with Flocker. I think. I think Flocker is the best. F L O K R. Yeah, Flocker. No E. Flocker. Flocker. Yeah. No C. No E. <laughs> Flocker. Flocker. And their their tagline is "Get flocked." Get flocked. Yeah. You ready to flock? Yeah. There's hot singles waiting to flock with you. <laughs> hot single birds <laughs> ready to migrate. <laughs> to your area. <laughs> wow. Well, anyway, we yes. hope that you enjoyed this story as much as we did. Absolutely. As always, we love hearing from you. Please do reach out with your thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. and concerns or questions or whatever. I don't care. Tell us a story. <laughs> We're here to We're here for it. Yes. Our email address is romance at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Flocker. I'm at oh great it's Eli. <laughs> you better not be on Flocker. <laughs> I'm at Dynamite Boom. And you can find the show at Redick Romance. Or just send us a carrier pigeon. Take yeah, those two. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts yes. or wherever. We love reading um, those. We also love those. And whenever we get a review, it's just like a little Ooh! <laughs> the <laughs> she, numbers went up. Yes. Very exciting. She uh she she always turns around and uh, <laughs> flutters her feathers. <laughs> I purr, my cloaca Purrs. opens. Yep. So, yeah, make my cloaca open today with a great message. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we will see you all next time. Yay. Have a great weekend, everyone. Yep. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.